Hello and welcome to the Cherry Blossom Cafe podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Williams. This show is all about uncovering life's mysteries about money. If you've ever wondered how other people manage their money or the mistakes they've made, well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. We'll uncover these mysteries and more. On this episode, we talk to Carla Wood, a recognized voice in business strategy and relational leadership. Carla is also a highly rated speaker, founder of All Strategy, a successful international enterprise focused on driving growth for service-based businesses. Carla believes incremental shifts maximize results. Carla has supported small and mid-sized businesses in making tens of millions of additional revenue. Welcome, Carla. Thank you for joining me today, Carla Wood. It is so wonderful to have you here. I think you're amazing. I think you do a great job. And I just love hearing what you have to say. So thank you. Thank you. That's so lovely. I'm so, so glad. And it's mutual. (laughs) Good. So what I'd like to do in these sessions is really just get a bit of background and insight into people's progression, first of all, with their careers and their work. So to start off with, what was your first job? Oh, my first, first job, like in childhood? Could be, or whenever you feel like you had the first job that you talk about. Well, I think my first job, which is probably notable, (laughs) was when I was in grade eight, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, I worked at a frozen yogurt place. And it was, it, it, uh, it captivated me because I took so seriously, it was a small business and um, they were very concerned about uh, their expenses Mm. and they were concerned about uh, breakage of cones and they were concerned about people coming in to get free samples because it was one of those machines that you have to uh, push the bar kind of like Menchie's and the, and the ice cream comes out, but it was behind the counter. So we serviced it. And I remember, um, in my zealousness, a gentleman asked a woman asked for a chocolate sample and I gave it to her. And then her husband asked for the chocolate sample. And I said, well, you can just try your wife's. (laughs) Anyway, I got in a lot of trouble for it, but what it helped me understand at a very young age is that um, while expenses matter, customer service matters <laughs> more. <laughs> very, very good lesson. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it sounds like um, a great first job because who doesn't like frozen yogurt? Yeah, it was. And you got to eat the broken cones. So it was great. <laughs> oh, awesome. Fantastic. Fun. Lots of fun. So then how did you get started in your, in, in all strategy in your business now? Well, I, um, it really, this company actually started in 2013, but in many ways started all the way back in 2002 when I started, um, my first company. Um, and it was really sort of my foray into consulting, which has eventually changed into business strategy. And Mm -hmm. what I was trying to figure out was how can I help businesses in a way that, um, allows me to be a part of the big picture, but does doesn't require me to be um, hands-on in the in the environment because I find I have a bit of shiny object syndrome and it, with StrengthsFinder I'm a real activator achiever, um, which means I'm really good at getting things going. I'm strategic, so I can see the big picture for things for people easily in terms of how to get from where they are to where they need to be, but I'm not great at taking things over the finish line. So I need other people to finish. And so 
um, business strategy and advisory is a really good fit for me that way. And in my first company, I made the decision that if people were most important, thank you, frozen yogurt ice cream store (laughs) for teaching me that, um, that the best approach to marketing was to take um, any of the business contacts that I met and stay in touch with them. This is before I knew about CRMs, um, but I would stay in touch with them at least twice a year. So my goal was at least twice a year to invite them all out for um, breakfast, coffee, lunch, or dinner. Mm-hmm. And I was hedging my bets that half couldn't come and the other half would probably offer to pay if we did go out. Yeah. Um, it, which was, which worked out, you know, I was young and didn't have a lot. Um, but that principle, I don't, I'm not able to do it quite that same way because my database has grown a lot over the years, but um, that principle of staying in touch with people, understanding their value and always asking how you can help them, Mm. Um, has stuck with me. And so as I've changed um, my company over the years and even left the industry and done other things and come back, uh, when I launched Jell Strategy, I had a really wonderful launching pad because those relationships I'd been curating for 15 years came to pass so I could be, you know, as I've joked with others, an overnight success <laughs> when, I, when I started. So it's like, it only takes 15 years to be an overnight success. Exactly. That's yeah. easy. <laughs> First, your insight was so awesome about you seeing the big picture and being a big picture person and needing help to get the projects or the ideas across the line. That has to be such a great place to start for any business owners to really know their strengths and then, oh, yeah. Yeah. And then to uh, delegate where it's not your, your strength or not your genius. Um, and then, and then create a business around that strength is fantastic. So congratulations. That's really well done. That's a really good lesson for all of us. Thank you. I'm pretty passionate about leveraging your strengths and letting others leverage theirs so that you can all be greater than the sum of your parts. Mm, very, very true. Yeah, that's excellent. So once you started to become more successful with your business and with your work that you were doing, that did you handle money differently? Not at first. <laughs> I wish I could say yes. Yeah. Um, it took some time and, you know, I... I haven't always had a great grasp of the importance of money in terms of the big picture. It's always just sort of uh, been there for the most part. I hadn't, didn't have a lot of time in my life story that, um, that included financial struggle, which I'm very grateful for. The downside of that though, is not really appreciating how, um, how much work it takes to have it and how important it is to, to use it well and plan for the future. So it took, um, it took several years of, uh, of what felt like exciting financial success uh, to spend all of that and realize that that's really not success at all. That's just um, having a, I don't know what it is, a, you know, a, a party. It's, it's just like play money. Like you can't, you can't build a life with play money and um, the importance of then um, starting to, to plan and invest and save. Yeah. Yeah. So it took time. Yeah. Oh, I say that many of us have to be reckless with our money before we are responsible for, for with our money. Me. Oh. 
Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a perfect case study for that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so now um, in looking back, would you say that there was any one big money mistake over the years or were there um, several I, and then you learned from smaller ones or, or a combination? Yeah, I think there was a combination. I think um, in terms of big mistakes, probably the biggest mistake I made uh, other than just not saving and investing, which was monumental, but incrementally monumental, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a decision I made, you know, over and over and over again, in essence, by not doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the other one was uh, taking the advice of someone else's advisor that was intended for them Mm -hmm. and not understanding that, yeah, yeah, that advice needs, even financial advice needs to be customized to your, your own circumstances, to your own level of risk. And, um, yeah, and having to learn that uh, you can you can lose money when you make investments if you uh, well if the market changes or whatever there's nothing you can do about that mm-hmm. necessarily but that you can manage your risk uh, based on your level of comfort and it turns out that um, I have more of a moderate level of uh, risk comfort and I I thought it was higher I thought I had a higher tolerance. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Interesting insight. So that's a perfect lead into the question. Do you have an investing philosophy now? I do. My investing philosophy, although it's moderate overall, is that I think that it's important to have some things that are higher risk and kind of the fun, I can afford to lose it money. So it's not gambling, (laughs) but it's the closest I really get to it. I think that's really important. Um, And then I think it's important to have the stuff that I'm just not willing to risk at all. So it's the, the lower risk pieces. Um, You know, my kids education uh, that I, I want to make sure that I have that I'm not really willing to take a lot of risk. I'd like some return on it. So um, it's sort of in a mixed low to mid risk range, but I think having um, instead of just being in the middle for everything, I'm more of a roller coaster personality. So I, I like to select my investments in a bit of a roller coaster way that's strategic. Yeah, very good. Yeah, which I think it's a really good point is that diversification is a very well as a principle of investing, but it can also be a different diversification strategy for different goals. So, yes. you know, the, the kids education fund has a different asset allocation that fits for that comfort for you and that need uh, different from money that maybe that you're planning with your retirement versus money that you can say, okay, I can be a little bit more speculative with money over here that I'm willing to take a little bit of a greater risk with, but they're all divided into different purposes that help you with the overall diversification as well. That sounds beautifully articulate. Yes. <laughs> and I concur. <laughs> okay, good. So then going to giving back, what is your philosophy about philanthropy? Uh, well, that is a point in which I am deeply passionate about. Um, I believe that um, to whom much is given, much is expected, and that I have the privilege of being someone who in terms of the world view, has been given much, as is every person that I know, really. Um, just being Canadian, we are incredibly fortunate. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's essential to be generous and um, 
in our home, we have a principle of giving first. So we, um, we give and then we save and then we spend. Um, and then also with my company, with All Strategy, we have um, what we call generosity alliances. And those are really important to me. And our generosity alliances are essentially um, proactive strategic uh, relationships that we have built with not-for-profits. And on our website, we have a page about gener- generosity alliances where people can apply for those. So they're minimum 12-month relationships, and um, they need to qualify under one of the areas that uh, we as all strategy have chosen to give. Um, and we what we commit to is if you're selected as one of our generosity Alliance partners is that we will pledge a minimum amount of money, but also um, pledge pro bono services to you. And then you have to be willing to let us, you know, basically be an advocate and fan and brag about your organization to the world. Um, And so I guess my philanthropy perspective is that you need to combine time and money and um, doing, if you can only do one, then that's wonderful. There's times in my life I've only been able to do either or, um, but that the goal is to get to being able to do both. Mm, what, a, what a wonderful approach. I, you only touched on it, but I really love when you said your family, you have a philosophy of you give first, you save second, and you spend third, which is in most people's worlds, completely upside down in that we spend first, we save second and we give third. So that that's an amazing view, which is not necessarily of the everyday view that you hear about. Right. Mm. Yeah. It is a little bit upside down. You know, the fun of it though, is that you're way less stressed when you live it out. I mean, they do, we do it imperfectly, Mm. but, um, we can feel the difference when we're not, we're not doing that because when you give first, it's fun to give. You're excited. You don't feel like you're giving someone your leftovers and you haven't quite had enough to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you're saving, it takes the pressure off. You feel responsible. And then, then when you're spending, there's no guilt in the spend because you know you have it. You've already dealt with the other important stuff. Yeah, that's fantastic. Amazing. And then I really am intrigued that you have the... Is it the, um, what did you call it? The giving alliance? Or oh, the generosity alliances. Yeah, yes. Generosity alliances. And that you are intentional around a, initially in a 12 month period of time that you will focus on certain charities or pro bono work. And then do those then become longer term? They do. Yes. I've said 12 months, but so far I am having a hard time breaking up with anybody. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out I really care about these organizations. And um, yeah, so Dress for Success was our first generosity alliance, Dress for Mm -hmm. Success Vancouver. Um, And we have had a generosity alliance with them for four years. Um, We then also have a generosity alliance with uh, Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. Um, So Dress for Success helps women who are underemployed um, or unemployed get back into the workforce, starting with helping them getting the suiting for an interview and then career career skills and then even leadership skills once they are employed. It's an amazing organization. And then Forum for Women Entrepreneurs um, helps women who are entrepreneurs. And I'm a mentor there and a donor and supporter. I've been a part of their E-series 
program, both as a moderator and as a as an alumni now. And then uh, the third that we have currently is World Relief Canada, which is a global organization that helps. Um, helps in other countries, helps families move out of poverty so that they are not obligated to um, move into slavery, to starvation, to homelessness, that they start to be able to become self-sufficient. What I love about that organization is um, that we partner with local organizations on the ground there. So it's not the Western, you know, uh, superhero showing up to save the day and do it our way. We're actually partnering with people who are on the ground who do it their way. That's reflective of their culture. And we're able to respect that. So being locally respectful on a global level. Mm-hmm. So those are the three that we, we support. Yeah, that's fantastic. Currently. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you for that. So just going back to your younger self and money, if you could go back, what, what one piece of advice might you give your younger self about money? Ah, well, that's easy because I've got two younger selves. They're my children. (laughs) Uh, They happen to be boys, but (laughs) potato, potato. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we have done with our boys, which I I wish I had learned as a child, is that um, they have... They each have three piggy banks. Mm -hmm. Um, One is for giving, one is for saving, and one is for spending. And when they get allowance or any any money, then they need to divvy that up accordingly. And so we haven't talked to them about percentages and that because they're not at that stage of life yet, but eventually we will. Um, And so our only parameter is that whenever they get money, something needs to go in each of the three. And we put into the giving first and then the spending. And then the last part is this is, or then the savings and the last part goes into the spending. And what's been really beautiful to watch and what I see happening with our kids that I wish I had had the opportunity to do as a child myself is that they're thinking through when they want something, because at this stage of their life, there's nothing that they need to pay for if they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're spending money is purely for wants. Yeah. They can they look at something and ask how much it costs or see how much it costs. They can go home and count what they have. And they know they're on a fixed income. They know what their allowance is. Yeah. And they can figure out how many weeks it will take to get that. And quite often by the time we get to those number of weeks, they've actually decided on something else. Mm-hmm. And so, and then when they do go to make a purchase, we're able to talk about the fact that there was something else that they also wanted that is now going to have to be delayed or deleted from the list for them because their money is now gone. And so they're learning how to really make decisions um, about that. They also get to decide what they do with their generosity money. Um, mm. And we try to partner that with action. Yeah. And then they're spending, um, it's, a, it's a big deal when you get to $100 and you get to go open a bank account. So, yeah, um, and enjoy that. So I, that would be um, the advice I would give to my younger self is to, to do that and, and always do it because it would have been much nicer to learn that um, in my elementary school years than well into my adult years. Mm. And it's about those habits created when we're younger that we just do because the important adults in our lives get us to do it. And then it just becomes second nature. We don't even think differently. We just think that everybody does it once we right. our home. Right. That's a wonderful yeah. gift you've given your kids. I hope so. We'll see. (laughs) Great insight. Yeah. So, and then, so just one last question, what piece of advice would you like to give your older self about money? Oh, that's a great question. My older self about money. I think 
I would say to my older self, remember to keep being generous as your time, uh, this, your time here wanes. Because what I often see in the later generations is that they are fearful of letting go of the money because you don't know how much longer you have and how much you need. Mm. Um, and I hope that I will be in a place financially that I can choose to be generous to um, my kids or the organizations that I care about or to the friends and family that I have so that I can um, enjoy blessing them financially while I'm still here rather than waiting till I'm gone. Because um, although it's a gift to be able to leave, leave things financially to people when you go, mm-hmm. um, I feel like quite often by the time that happens, if we live a long, healthy life, those people that we've left things to may not be in as much need of it. And um, what that money could be doing for them, if they had it and learned how to do it earlier, could be amazing. So really, I guess the generational succession planning would be, I would want to remind myself of that. Mm, That's wonderful. And that's a wonderful legacy. That reminds me of just the ideas that how many of us remember our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our great-great-grandparents. And with that kind of thinking, you know, it could be your great grandkids that are remembering that, you know, you've passed on that idea of generosity and responsibility with money. For sure. Especially because, you know, if, if we accumulate wealth and if it's not my generation, then my next, the next generation accumulate enough wealth, then statistically by the third generation, they've squandered it. Mm. And so I think if we're just leaving it to them, instead of educating them and teaching them and equipping them about money as a tool, instead of money as uh, an entitlement, then hopefully it lasts, it goes longer than that and has a bigger impact. Mm, yeah, what, that's fantastic. Wonderful lessons for us all to remember as we go forward. And as we continue to have our own success, I think it's like you've said, it's, you know, too, too much is given, much is expected. And that is part of it, is how do we ensure a legacy that is something that we would want to be remembered by? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Carla, for your time. So appreciate it. Thank you for your openness and sharing your views about your money. I know that it can be a uh, sensitive topic topic for people. So I really, really appreciate your openness and your thoughtful responses, because I I think it's, it's really, you've given us a lot to think about. So thank you. Oh, good. You're so welcome. Yeah. It's outside of my comfort zone, which tells me that it's probably really important. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I look forward to chatting again soon. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Cherry Blossom Cafe podcast. You can check out the notes below for links related to this podcast. If there is someone you'd like us to interview, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, lifestyleprotector.ca, for contact information and more episodes. Mm-hmm.